The question is, where do you find God? Well, I find God when I go running, uh, especially um, like those uh, nice natural trails. When I'm with my family at the movies, most of the time I find God in stories and narrative and movie makers are some of the cream of the crop storytellers in our day and age, so movies. I feel like when I'm alone in my room, sitting on my bed, I experience God the most. I find God in my marriage. Coffee shops, because I like people. That's where people kind of, to me, come alive and start talking about what they really feel in a coffee shop. I meet God there. Let me say hi to everybody who's joining us online or at any of our campuses as a part of this service, also at South Park in person. It is so good to be with you. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here. And that is the question that we're going to be looking at as we march towards, can you believe Easter is one month away? That is so exciting. We are going to be looking at over the next several weeks, where do you find God? And not in a um, you know, quasi-spiritual, God is the trees and God is the breeze and all that stuff. But where do we find the Christian God, the God of the Bible, and is it possible that he's waiting to be found in the most mundane and ordinary places in our lives? I think that's the case that I wanna make to you over the course of the next few weeks. And to allow you to begin thinking as we approach Easter about where God might want to show up in powerful ways in your life right now. One of the reasons that we miss it, though, is because we're not expecting him to show up in those kind of unexpected, ordinary places. We think of God hitting the mountaintop or the, the perfect worship service or only at the church, but we don't think about, as we just heard on there, about the coffee shop opportunity where he wants to be sacred and he wants to be powerful and present. And so our expectations, and you know this about life, if your expectations line up with reality, it's a beautiful thing. It leads to anticipation and, and hope and even joy when you finally get there to wherever there is. But when your expectations are wrong or off, it can lead to frustration and anger and depression and despair. And, and for many of us, that's kind of how we are with God is he didn't show up when or how or in the way we thought. And we decided that we were just going to be upset about that and maybe our anger turned into apathy and and so for many of us, we may just believe that he has nothing to say anymore, doesn't want to meet, doesn't care. Some of the worst times in our lives is when our expectations are off and we miss the beauty of the moment, you know? I, I want to share my favorite story from mine and Jessica's life, that's my wife, uh, about how that happened. My favorite and my least favorite at the same time. You'll find out why in a second because it makes me look like a total jerk. But uh, it happened about seven or eight years ago, we decided we were gonna have this opportunity to take a trip to Chicago, and we had never been there before. We love exploring new places. And so uh, on our trip, I, I had finally, er it was still fairly early in our marriage, you know, about 12 years in or so, and, uh, and I had finally learned that I needed to do a better job at planning stuff. And which was easy for me because I'm a, I'm a planner. And so I always wake up on Saturday or vacation days with like, okay, what are we doing? I need to make sure I know what's gonna happen and how I'm gonna move through this. My wife, Jessica, uh, is an artist. Many of you know that. And so her idea of planning and time and pretty much all of the stuff about life is just different than mine. 
And so uh, I, I go into our 40 hour long weekend trip with all the belief that my plan is gonna lead to memories and magic, you know, all, it's gonna be amazing. And so I planned out from 6.45 the first day until we hit the plane on Sunday, every moment of the trip. We, she's an artist, so we're gonna go see all these art installations. We're gonna make sure we take the boat ride. You know that boat ride through Chicago? Have you ever seen that? It's in movies, if you've never been there. Like all the things, eat Giordano's pizza, and I have it all laid out. And Jessica, very first thing in the morning is like, nah, I'm not interested in that. And I'm like, wait, wait hold on. I mean, I planned this. Like, this is gonna be great. Any of you ever have one of these moments in a dating relationship or marriage? Wow, I am so alone. So anyway, we, uh, we get started and it's like, let's make sure we go see the bean right now. And she's like, I'm kind of thinking the antique store. And I'm like, it's time for the deep dish pizza. And she's like, I don't want to take a nap the rest of the day because of that. And then I'm like, we got to get, and, and we just kept missing each other and missing each other. And you ever heard of the crazy cycle in relationships? Like we got on the crazy side, we just couldn't break out. It was like, the more we tried to come together, the more it went off the rails. And it ended up like the, the quietest dinner we've ever had in our lives. And then we get on the plane to come back home and no lie, I step in dog poop walking into the airport and I got to ride on the plane the rest of the way like that. So she didn't even want to sit by me anymore. I mean, we redeemed it and we want to do over, but uh, my expectations were just off. It's because I thought certain things had to happen in a certain way for the moment to be worth it. And I missed all kinds of opportunities to just see the beauty that my wife was seeing. Total jerk, free lesson for those of you who are thinking about getting married one day. Don't do what I did, don't be me. But I think that's true in our lives with God as well. That we've got these places that we think he either has to show up or other places that we believe he doesn't care about at all, that we've locked off. Places of shame or pain, unexpected places, places that we thought were dead. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna look at this last week of Jesus's life. It's called the Passion. And we're gonna view it through a different lens, through the angle of the unexpected places that God shows up in the story of Easter. Where to find God, both in Easter story and in your life. And, and I'll tell you right now, God shows up in places that nobody saw coming, but he's always intentional. This is both in the story of Easter and in your life and in places that have meaning and power because he's present. So in your life, I will tell you right now, there are special places waiting to meet God in. Will you go on this journey with me to have eyes to see what God might be wanting to do in those? We're gonna start today by looking at a passage of scripture in Matthew 21. It's called the triumphal entry. And we're gonna begin looking at one of the most unexpected things that happened in this week of Jesus' life as he enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. So wherever you are, if you would stand as we read this scripture, I'm reading from the CSB version. It'll be on the screen or on, uh, on the screen if you're online as well. And it's Matthew 21 verses one through 11. And here's what the scripture says. When they approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once, you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them at once. This took place, the writer says, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. And and here was the prophet's words. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is God's word. You can be seated. Before we jump into the text and make some applications to our own lives, a little bit of context in case you're not familiar with the story or the time that's happening here. Uh, This is about six days before Jesus would go to the cross. Last part, the last week of his life, um, Jesus is moving from the Mount of Olives, which is, is up high. There's a valley that goes down, and then Jerusalem is on the other side of that valley. So he's moving down the mountain towards Jerusalem, uh, and he's going to, at a time and to a place where nobody thought that he should go. Like his followers were worried because people had already started to want to kill Jesus. They wanted to silence him. He had been going around the countryside for three years, healing people, doing miracles, raising the dead. In fact, he had just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead not too many days before this, which actually was the last nail in the coffin for the leaders of the religious uh, group there to go ahead and kill him. Jesus, with his followers, maybe 100 or 200 at this point, start the trek towards Jerusalem. He's going to enter, and you have to understand that he's entering Jerusalem at a time and a place in the first century where the Roman occupation, the Roman Empire, had spread around the world, and it had specifically put its tentacles into the area of Palestine, where Jesus and the disciples lived. Tons of economic trade came from there, and they taxed the people heavily to the point where it was oppressive. Their Roman soldiers and the Roman rule was evident all throughout And you have to understand, these are a people who for centuries had believed and heard the promise and the prophecy that one day they were going to re-enter that sacred space of being God's chosen special people. But they had had a history of being exiled and oppressed and fought over and and put into chains and then released and then back. Their, Their story was one of failed expectation. A belief that God would show up in ways and in times that he just never seemed to do. And the Roman occupation was horrific. It got worse after this. But for the last hundred years, everything about the way that this group of conquerors had existed with them caused them to be fed up with their situation. Their prayers they felt weren't being answered. And suddenly, as others had happened before, on the scene comes a man that looks like he could be the rescuer the Savior or the Messiah, as he was known. Problem is, Jesus 
who comes to this moment with uh, a, a gathering and a following that was strong and behind him, he had all the wrong people. He had the uneducated, the poor, the ones with no power, no voice. That's who was following him, it seemed. And the power that be, they were all upset at him. So at this moment, when we read about Jesus sending his disciples to go get a donkey, if we're not careful, just like with all the scripture, we can miss details that really illuminate for us what God is up to in the moment. This donkey is the place that I want to talk to you about for a, a few minutes, about why that's so unexpected. As Jesus though, goes to enter, we hear the cheers of the crowd, Hosanna, which means something like save now, save us now. The people believe their expectation is up. Maybe this is it. We've seen him raise the dead. We've watched him heal the sick. This could be the moment. Look, we're walking down this mountain to Jerusalem. Here's going to be the final battle, and we're going to win, and this guy is going to like open up the robes, and Superman, Messiah, is going to show up. The city, it says, is in an uproar, stirred up by what's happening here. There's already tension. And then we're told that everybody in Jerusalem is on edge. Some of them on edge of anticipation, like finally. Have you ever felt that way? Where you've been praying the prayer or believing and it's like you almost see the solution coming. Like God is about to show up in the, in the way that you thought he would. And it's like, finally. And then he takes a left turn. It doesn't happen the way you thought. Jesus, just like when he entered Jerusalem at his birth, we were told that the whole city was stirred up because of him, finds himself in the same place now. And just like his mom entered the city of Bethlehem all those years before on the back of a donkey, Jesus now chooses his mode of transportation that he's gonna enter into the city and proclaim his kingdom. And it's not the one that anybody expected. See, in that time, if you were going to come in as like a victor, a conquering king, if you wanted to come in with power and kick out those nasty Romans, you would have done it on a war horse, like fully laid out with royal linen and gold and armor. And, and you'd have marched in. Kings always did this. They would come into the city ready for battle. But Jesus picks a, a donkey, not even his. And there's meaning both prophetic and symbolic in his choice. It would be like if the president decided to roll up into Charlotte and as he's coming, we find out that he chose a Toyota Corolla, a hybrid, you know? Like, it's fine mode of transportation. It's just not what you expect from the most powerful person in the, in the country. Jesus' choice of a hybrid was the donkey. Kind of like a hybrid, you know? You get it, it was running on organic stuff. Anyway, and he comes and the people are screaming and they're, and they're repeating stuff from the Psalms, from prophets before saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's important too, because in the name of the Lord means with his authority, in his power, speaking for him. And many prophets had come in the name of the Lord before, but what they didn't understand because they couldn't have expected is that this time he actually was coming in the name of the Lord in a whole different way. See, what Jesus was about to do was to exercise the authority of God in a way they had never seen. But it started on the back of a donkey. It says that Jesus told the disciples before they understood it to go in and they would find this donkey exactly as, as he said. In that moment, he was showing his authority, his control, his foreknowledge over everything. 
And I think it's interesting to note that Jesus in that moment, when we're paying attention to the details, he shows us that he's in control over the present and the future. Hey, when the guy asks you what you're doing, why you're stealing his donkey, you just tell him the Lord needs it. He's in control, it seems, and this one's gonna sting a little bit, but he's in control over those possessions that other people thought that they owned. See, he really is Lord of everything, including, including your and my situation right now, even if we have different expectations for what he should be doing. The donkey was unexpected because it was humble. There's some things about donkeys, if I just ask you to describe, like right now, maybe you could even yell it out or you could type it in the chat if you're online or at one of the campuses. Like when I say donkey, what do you think of? Dumb, right? Yeah, we hear that. Stubborn. Unless you've seen Shrek and then you know that the donkey is like really the smartest person in the film, right? But otherwise, we think of donkeys as just kind of almost useless. Like they can carry stuff. That's great. But really, it's not like you got a horse, it's not like there's anything great about the, the donkey. And yet, what we know about donkeys is that they actually are incredibly protective. Do you know why? That, uh, have you ever seen in the Grand Canyon, whenever they take those trips where you can kind of go down into the bottom of it, that they always use donkeys as the animals to get people down? You know why they don't use horses? Because donkeys are so self-protective that they will make sure they don't get hurt so you can be safe and confident riding on the donkey. They, they have some of the most sure steps of any animal. They're also incredibly good at carrying a burden, holding the weight. Jesus, when he walks into the city or when he rides into the city on the back of a donkey, so much symbolism is happening here. Humble, the animal of the poor. Uniting and identifying with those of us who feel like we don't have a voice, we don't have power, you don't have money, we don't have leverage. But he also comes in on the animal that is the, that's used to carrying the burden that's bigger than itself. And was he not carrying, as he came into the city, the burden of our sin and our guilt and our shame? But there's something else. I mentioned the people expected and wanted the war horse. Kings would come in ready for battle on a horse. But when a king would enter a place in peace, he would always come on a donkey. Happened in scripture and in history beforehand. So Jesus, despite the fact that not everybody can see it at the moment, all the symbolism, all the meaning is there that he would choose this animal, the most unexpected way for him to go about setting up his kingship. But it also was fulfilling prophecy. It, it, writer, the writer Matthew that we read says this, but I wanna read to you the prophecy it's coming from Zechariah 9.9, written about 500 years before this happens. God, through his inspiration, tells Zechariah, write these words. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. At that time, I'm sure Zechariah could not have imagined the scene that we read about here. But God is in control of the future and the present, and your possessions, and our moments, and he is wanting to meet us in them in ways that would blow our minds if we allowed our expectations to line up with his and not just our own. Do you believe it? Do you think it's possible that there are places in your life that God wants to show up, maybe in a humble way when you want the warlord, maybe in a quiet way when you want him to shout, maybe in an ordinary way when you want him to be spectacular? 
people wanted, expected him to come in as king. And he did. But he wasn't heading to the palace to ascend the throne. He was heading in to climb a cross and to die. He wasn't gonna get the crown of gold with authority. He was gonna get the crown of thorns with shame, yours and mine. Jesus enters in the most unexpected way for a kingdom that's most unexpected, and it's so humble. And this is the point that I wanna make with you, the first place today that I wanna show you where to find God in your own life, in my own life, is in humility. See, we just, we feel like we have to win, we have to be powerful. We even believe, and we, and we put this off on God, I think sometimes too, that there are things in your life, if you think about right now, the situation that you most believe, um, maybe, maybe, let me say it this way, maybe the situation you least believe God is interested in. But if he were to be interested in it, like a marriage, like a relationship with one of your kids that seems like it's hopeless, like a, a, a job situation or finance or whatever, if, you, if he actually showed up, you want him coming in as warhorse Jesus, right? Kick tail, take names, turn this upside down, save the marriage, save now. And maybe Jesus wants to enter as donkey, riding Jesus, bringing peace, and asking you to be humble and say, and be patient. Because I'm doing something now that you can't see and you can't imagine because your expectations are all off. But don't miss that I'm Lord of the present and the future. See, Jesus was about this work, both in the crucifixion that he was about to undergo that would take care of the sin of the people and that was labor that he was about to experience. But in truth, in reality, he was already king of the universe. And what he was doing was simply affirming and setting the stage for us to see, looking back at it, that he had done everything needed to let you and I, with humble confidence in the way that he loves us, be able to act just like him. It's incredible that it often takes us looking back on things to be able to see it for what they were. This was true of the disciples too. We read this in John 12, verse 16, as they think back of the crowd yelling Hosanna and they think back at Jesus on the donkey, they missed it all in the moment. They missed the beauty of it. They missed the power of it. They missed the sacredness of it. But John 12 tells us that his disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. I wanna challenge you to begin now as we wrap up this part, as we head to communion in just a moment, I wanna challenge you to begin now having some different expectations for how and where and when God wants to show up. I wanna begin asking you to think about the fact that maybe he wants to meet you in the place that you thought was dead and gone and over. This is not to try to stir up some kind of false hope or expectation or a promise that makes you feel real good when you leave this building but leaves you flat later. What I mean is that the places that we often call dead, over, the places where maybe we have failed and experienced shame, 
or guilt, the secret that you don't want anybody to know. When we lay those places open in humility before God, often that is exactly the point that he wants to enter your situation. Those of you watching online, right where you are, he wants to enter in those moments and he wants to make them special because he's present with power. Are you and I willing to shift our expectations to let him see, to let him in? to let us see. See, no place where Jesus shows up is accidental. That's something we're gonna find out in the next few weeks. And I want this to to stir your surprise, your anticipation of Easter. You're gonna find out that there is nothing that he does that is accidental. It's all tied to fulfilling prophecy that was given hundreds, if not thousands of years before. It's all symbolic in ways that brings more meaning to it. And that's not just true of the Easter story, it's true of your life too. He never shows up in a place that's accidental. And no place where we've messed up is off limits. Some of you right now think that you have to just count whatever that is, that hope, that dream, that relationship. You have to count it as dead because it's over. And I want to show you, I want to tell you, I want to beg you to believe that Jesus might want to show up right there. It's not over. And every place is a potential to meet the king of peace. So let me sh- where to find God in your life. Just a couple of thoughts. I want you to write these down or take notes on them on the phone. This week, you can kind of uh, let this roll in your head. And then I'm gonna give you a, a couple of ways that I want us to pray over the course of this next month. And, and the prayer may help illuminate for us the encounter with Jesus that we really desperately need. First, Where do you least expect him to show up? Write it down, maybe pray it. God, this is the place I I don't think either you're interested, I don't think you care, I don't think you can. Be honest. Where do you least expect him that you have a need, but you just don't think that he's gonna enter in right there? Where is that? Secondly, where do you want him to show up? Where is it that if you were just being honest, if you were just being humble with God, that you could from your heart of hearts say, I so wish that you would show up in this with me and my teenager, with me and my classmate, with me and my anxiety, with me and and my guilt. God, I wish you would show up with me in that secret that nobody knows about. Would you please? But but I just don't know if you will. What would happen if we humbled ourselves and prayed that way? And then quickly three practical ways to pray once you've answered those questions. The first, and this sounds insignificant on purpose, pray about the smallest things. Could you change your list this week where you start praying about the smallest things? Here's why. Maybe I'm alone. I was alone in the story of my uh, planning my Chicago trip. Maybe I'm alone on this one too. But I so often think that, I don't say this out loud, but I think that some of the things that are on my, could be on my prayer list, that that's too small for God. I I got that. Like I probably need to be the one to just fix it. Uh, I'd like you to focus, Lord, on these three because those are the big ones I don't have an answer for. But I got these. 
How many things do you think we miss him showing up because we just don't expect him to? They're too small, they're insignificant, he doesn't care. But what would happen if this week you began to pray about, I mean, I'm talking about the smallest things, like your meeting at work tomorrow morning, your time at, at the, in the break room, at the coffee with that person that you've been wondering if there's ever a way to just kind of share your story, to ask how they are. What if you started asking, praying the smallest things that when you take your car in for an oil change, that the person God would choose to be sitting next to you is someone who needs to hear what you have to say or needs you to not say anything and just listen. Secondly, participate in what he's doing now. Pray and ask God, show me what you're up to at this moment. And for most of us, we kind of already know. Things, maybe if you're a part of this community of faith, of our church, there are things happening all over at each campus uh, that that are ways we're serving, ways that we are coming in the name of the Lord to show people the love of Jesus. Don't wait for just the future big thing that you need him to do. Get engaged with where he's active at this moment. And watch what happens in your life. Watch your faith build. Watch your encouragement grow. Watch your expectancy for the future lift. Participate in what he's doing now. And finally, ask him to show you. This is a tough one. I've already started praying it as I was preparing for you guys to talk today. I started praying it myself. God, where are my expectations off? Show me where I'm thinking you should do this and you actually want to do this. See, prayer, prayer is about lining us up, not getting God to do what we want. It's about lining us up with viewing the situation the way he does. And here's the truth that you can hold on to. God will always do, he always does what you would do if you knew what he knows. God will always do what you would do if you knew what he knows. If you actually wanted the best for you, if you were as in love with you as God is, if you knew what was coming next, that pretty soon the shouts of Hosanna are gonna turn to crucify him, if if you knew what he knows, you would choose the same thing and so would I. So why don't we begin to pray and say, God, show me where I'm off in my expectations. Here's the big idea for the whole thing and we're gonna shift to communion Because this table, the Lord's Supper, is one of those unexpected places that God shows up. It's ordinary. Bread, juice, wine, brokenness. A reminder of what looked like a failure turns into the greatest inspiration for hope that we could ever possibly have. But you could miss it if your expectations are off. So here's the big idea. Fully anticipate what God will do in the future, but fully participate with what God is doing now. If we do this together, I believe we'll see him show up in so many places and in so many ways that Easter won't be able to contain our celebration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... um, First, I'm just super grateful that you preserved in your word this collection that lets us see not just from one perspective what you did, but you preserved over continents and millennia 
different writers, different prophets, different poets that help us make sense of what you're up to, all so that we could fall in love with who you are and what you wanna do right now, what you've done in Christ. God, I pray first that anyone listening, watching, that has not yet placed trust and faith in you for what you have visibly demonstrated as the biggest example of your authority and power and your humility on the cross. God, that they would surrender and trust to it now. And I pray for all of us that we would begin to let our eyes lift or shift and see as you see expect you to show and trust that you're after our good. God, would you give us the humility to say, we're not sure. And would you give us your grace to take this group of people and allow us to be a force for your kingdom? That we would be able, because of your name, walk forward in humble confidence that we can do whatever you call us to. We can serve, we can self-sacrifice, we can give and live in a certain way because deep down the cross shows us and communion reminds us that you love us, have accepted us. So help us now to act out of that confidence with that humility, Jesus, for your name and your kingdom's sake. Amen.